0: Well, here we go with with another Books of the Year podcast from your good friends at Books of the Year. Who's that there I can hear rattling around on the line, actually turning up on time today?
1: Well, imagine that. I've I've managed to be here despite the best efforts of President Putin stroke whoever. I I managed to get it to to halfway through the Ben McIntyre podcast, but I'm here from the start for this one, uh, which is going to be a great one with, uh, with Lee Child and Andrew Child.
0: Yes, we're going to be talking about the new Jack Reacher book in just a moment. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do that. You can tweet us at Books of the Year. Seamus, uh, Seamus8, uh, another fascinating episode. I imagine this is uh, as a result of uh, our last uh, program with Ben McIntyre. Thank you for your picks for my uh, to read stack across the pond. So I never saw the advert. Laurie McNenemy from Southampton. Is that Oh, Because that's what I said. If you got to the end, you yes. need to uh, get in touch and tell us about Laurie McNenemy. Anyway, this five-star recommendation for the podcast is brought to you under the influence of 45th Ward Pale Ale from Lake Effect. Anyway, Seamus, thank you, however you recommend us.
1: Indeed. And Darren McNamara says on Twitter, Hi, Laurie Anemone, can I have my coat, please? Which is about as close as we're getting with Laurie McMenemy, which is obviously the name of the uh, the former Southampton manager.
0: Yes. And then Sandy Flagg says, uh, hope my spelling of Laurie McNenemy is better than Steve's pronunciation.
1: <laughs>
2: it's, it's McMenemy. I, I, can't,
0: I can't believe we still saying it's
1: Laurie McNenemy. McNenemy, not McNenemy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now you can't even speak. I can't say anyway, McNenemy. Others, is what I, oh, others who managed to get... Anyway, Simon Lander, Peter Gedge, Sir Pam Jardine, Mark Bainbridge, Jeremy Chudley, Claire Green pilgrim colin Udall and helen duxbury and erin hen thank you very much who got to the end and sent us that laurie mcmenemy um matt yes
1: uh mark herring uh, on uh, yes yes. mark herring on the email says uh to simon and matt just a short email to say i thought the last 60 seconds or so of the q a with robert harris was possibly the funniest and most entertaining minute i've listened to on a podcast great stuff always an excellent listen mark from nottinghamshire (laughs) it was it took us by surprise as well it was very very funny though
0: Yes. Anyway, I think we should just, at this point, as a number of people have pointed out, particularly Bertie Williams, hello to everyone at the Times Diary because they <laughs> yes. like to, uh, they like to get, some, get some stories. They listen to this podcast and the film's podcast and they get some jolly decent stories out of us. Anyway, you're very welcome, Times Diary. Right, so are you ready to do Jack Reacher? Yes, yes, please. All right, here we go. So here we go, very excited uh, books of the year because we're doing it again, The Sentinel... Sentinel is brand new from Lee Child and Andrew Child. It's the new Jack Reacher. I'm delighted to say that. Uh, We're being joined by Lee and by Andrew, who are in different parts of the United States. Lee, hello. Where are you, sir?
3: Hi, Simon. Yeah, I'm in Colorado in a house that I'm fixing up. And so there's somebody out back sawing something and there's some electricians doing some outlets and so on. But I'm in a spare bedroom in northern Colorado having this beautiful day lovely autumn day, and uh, ready to go. Okay, well, it, it,
0: I feel easier that I'm the host this time as opposed to you being the host, although you were exceptionally good. Um he was but very I find, good, yeah. I find it easier to ask the questions than answer them.
3: <laughs> I'd like to be in the host, actually. Th- we should do it again.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, and also we've been joined by uh, by Andrew Child, uh, who I... Th- Andrew, I think you're in Wyoming
2: That's right. Yeah, I'm in a a different state. But actually, it's only about an hour away just over the border. And um, I think, uh, I think, as Lee was saying, the weather here is just sensational today. We've got beautiful blue skies. It's crisp. it's, um, It's just a perfect autumn day.
0: Yeah, okay. I mean, it's a bit rubbish. Uh, over there. <laughs> and, um, you know, so we don't need yeah. to hear too much about how, how fabulous it is.
3: It's only because of the way the wind is blowing because we've got huge forest fires. We've got 200,000 acres burning about 30 miles away. And if the wind blows in our direction, then the sky is like dark brown and the sun does not get through. But clearly the wind is blowing to the west. And so... All those people in those other states are getting it now.
2: Andrew, are you used to being called Andrew Child now? Well, I'm getting there. Um, And funnily enough, you know, when when you have to make a change like that, it takes some getting used to in terms of hearing people say the name, you know, in terms of having to sign the name, things like that. But um, I think I'm pretty much used to it now, yeah. Okay, so this is the
0: twenty uh, fifth. Reach a novel. Matt, if you open the cover of of the book, you can actually because we've got advanced copies which are embossed. Oh yes, in gold. yes. But if you op- you can actually describe the cover uh, on, on the internet page. So describe this one for us.
1: Well, what we've got, it's very much this uh, is a Jack Reacher novel, and you can tell that not just because of the words Jack Reacher, uh, which are right at the top of the uh, the title page, but we've got Man Shot From Behind. So, Silhouette of Man Standing is always Jack Reacher book. And Man Silhouette, this time, is stood uh, in the middle of a, I'm going to say this is a metal bridge, um it doesn't i i having read the book i don't think this has any relevance at all to the to the book itself but he is um stood on a bridge uh and it's uh, it's clearly dusk lee child in uh gold letters uh the world's number one bestseller and andrew child in gold letters and then
0: at the bottom the sentinel picked out in white Okay, so we'll get, we'll get a description of it in just a moment. Before we go any further, when when Lee was last on this podcast, he was the host of the podcast, um, and, and he interviewed me. Um, but you were very keen on advertising uh, coffee, um, a particular type of coffee, uh, Lee. Do you want to mention them again, or do you want to advertise another product?
3: I, well, the problem is I don't have another product, and that was something that I made a bad judgment all those years ago. What merchandising can I do with Reacher? You know, I can't do clothes. I can't do cars or anything like that because he doesn't have any of that stuff. All he does is drink coffee. So that's the only merchandising opportunity that I've got. So, yes, go to uh, to leachild.com and there's a link where you can buy special, super strong, battle-tested Jack Reacher coffee. And um, spare a thought for me. Now I'm retired you know i've got to have a pencil, so
2: <laughs> you, Oh, dear.
3: if, if you oh buy the coffee dear. then i get i get a royalty and it helps you know really just think have of about
1: have you not thought about toothbrushes lee cuz jack always has a toothbrush so at least i mean you come on
3: yeah, we could do folding toothbrushes. That's a great idea, Matt. And maybe I'll maybe I'll start that up because you know times are hard.
0: <laughs> so, Andrew, is there any product that you'd like to mention? You need to get in early. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to plug for no reason apart from the book, which we'll get to in just a second?
2: Well, you know, I've just got to echo, you know, that that terrible decision-making at the beginning of the Reacher series because, you know, now that I'm involved in it, I'd like nothing better than to be able to say, you know, Reacher's just taken delivery of his brand new Jaguar or something like that, you know, that that we could perhaps, you know, spin from. But, you know, really, as you say, I mean, I was thinking of the toothbrush as the, you know, the prime example, you know, you could have one that you could easily sharpen into a weapon or something like that. But, you know, really, he's he's very poor when it comes to merchandising. So I think I'm going to have to pass on that one, unfortunately. Okay, all right. Okay, Uh, fair enough. So uh, we'll get into the detail of the book in just a moment. But
0: Andrew, can we start with you on this? How do you co-author a book?
2: (laughs) That's a very good question. Um, And uh, it's kind of amusing because some recording has just appeared online of Lee and me at the Harrogate Festival about 10 or 12 years ago, saying that we would never co-author. <laughs> so, um, right. it, it's, a very, it's a very interesting thing because part of the problem is, you know, neither of us particularly plays well with others, you know and the last time i tried co-authoring anything was was really when i just left university and i was involved in theater and i wasn't i wasn't a very good co-author at all because i never my ideas never seemed to mesh with anybody else's and i always felt like i was swimming in the wrong direction so that was something i was a little nervous about going into this project but um what was great was actually we seem like we were always thinking in the same direction, and I think that is the key to um, to co-authoring. Because there are all kinds of mechanical things. You know, who does the actual typing? Do you sit together in the same room, or do you email back and forth? You know, obviously with the pandemic, that was that was a bit of an issue this time. But the key to it is: are you actually pulling in the same direction, and I, your ideas helping one another to get? closer to the mark that you're aiming for does do they help to get there more quickly do they help to get there more efficiently you know are you enhancing each other's work or are you just like driving each other crazy and um you know fortunately i don't think either of us really knew what to expect going into it but fortunately as we went along i think it's fair to say that we um you know we did work well and i think that you know we helped each other come up with um a product that we're both really really happy with So, Lee, did you have a formula? Did you decide that
0: you'd write a chapter, then Andrew would write a chapter, or was he the lead uh, on it and you're chipping
3: in? How how was the mechanic? Well, I wanted Andrew to do the plot because part of the thing that we're trying to do here is um, keep Reacher going for many, many years because that's what the readers want. And, And I'm aware that Reacher needs to be behind the curve in terms of uh, you know technology and so on and so forth. Readers find that very reassuring, I think, in general. If, if you're a year or two behind the technology curve, re- readers can deal with that and they feel comfortable with it. And it also doesn't waste your time because if you were to write about this year's hot app or software or whatever, by the time you are next year when the book comes out, it's out of date. So it's always better to be a few years behind the curve. But Reacher was getting a few decades behind the curve. And uh it was getting grotesque. You know, at heart, the way I wrote Reacher, he could he could use a rotary telephone and all that kind of thing, or a payphone, but a cell phone was foreign to him and it was just getting a little bit too much. So I wanted Andrew to do the plot in terms of of easing Reacher into the 21st century. Uh, but yeah, it was generally very easy to do. I mean, I was very aware of one thing up front, which is that for all his considerable virtues, Andrew is the most stubborn and obstinate human ever in history. And so <laughs> argument was probably not going to get me very far. So, But although I am the older brother, so there's a certain amount of deference owed. But <laughs> when it came to it, we didn't really argue. We We knew, and this is the thing that people need to understand is, you know, this wasn't like saying, hey, Andrew, there's this character called Reacher, and this is what he's like. You know, Andrew's been a Reacher reader for 25 years. He was the first guy ever to read the first book. And over the years, Reacher has become like a third brother. You know, he's always somewhere in the background. And so Andrew was able to step into it without that kind of introductory. Course, so it was yeah a lot of talk back and forth, and um, I was happy to take a more supervisory role, you know, that my senior position entitles me to. And so, <laughs> basically, to put it bluntly, yeah, Andrew did all the work, and I had all the fun.
0: Uh, so, in which case, then Andrew, it falls to you to. So, the title is the Sentinel. Who or what is the Sentinel? Take us into Reach of Twenty Five.
2: Well, thank you. Yeah, the Sentinel. The the reason that we we went with that for the title is that um, the Sentinel in the book is a software system which protects the integrity of the United States electoral system. And um, the way that we that we get into it is, um, as Lee was saying, we were looking for a way to kind of ease reacher into more of the at least the end of the twentieth century, if not the twenty first. And so. When when it comes to researching these kind of things, I'm I'm the sort of person who uh, I don't find it works too well to go out and specifically hunt down something that you need for for a story. I find it it works better if you just absorb as much as you can in your everyday life. So everything that you see, everything you hear, everything that you read about in the news. And I'm the kind of person who I, I sort of develop weird obsessions about things and then disappear down rabbit holes on the internet reading as much about it as I can. And some time ago, I'd become um, interested in the concept of ransomware, you know, the the kind of thing where a malicious organization infects your computers or your computer systems with um, a malicious program, which makes it so that you can't use them unless you pay them lots of money. And I'd read about this um, a while ago, wondering, you know, who, what kind of people do it? How does it work? What, what, what are the potential responses available? So it struck me that It would be a really fertile ground for Reacher because if he arrived in a town that had been subject to a ransomware attack, it automatically brings in the the more up-to-date technology side of things for him. But also, you know, what a great sort of hotbed of suspicion, you know, who's behind it? What do they want? What are they trying to hide? How would different groups of people in that town respond? You know, would everybody want to get the town systems back online? Or perhaps would some of them be trying to keep everything locked down because they had sinister secrets? So I, I felt it would be a really good starting point for Reacher. And then um, from there, you know, we, we developed the idea. And one of the things that it's not exactly ransomware, but it's certainly one of the kind of online um, crimes that, are, that that are being committed these days. Uh, moves into the idea of um, people tampering with it, with the integrity of the election systems, and that was something else I would read about. I read about what um, what uh, Russia, some of the Russians have been doing back in the twenty sixteen election. So we pinched some of those things and uh, sort of fictionalized them. Just a little bit. And then, um, you know, it turns out to be a decision that I'm I'm delighted about, because right, because, you know, as you know, it, you know, when you start writing a book, that's a long time before it gets published. So it's really impossible to predict what's going to be topical by the time the book comes out. So it's just a, you know, really happy coincidence that right about now Ransomware and election tampering are both really, really topical. In fact, the very day we emailed the final manuscript into our editors, you know, I sort of took a deep breath, sat down, you know, had a look at the 8 million emails that had built up in my inbox while I hadn't been paying attention. And the, the one at the very top was from my old school telling me that one of their contractors had been hit by a ransomware attack and consequently you know lots of personal data had been stolen and um, they wanted to warn everybody because until they decided whether they were going to pay up or cooperate or what they didn't know whether this information was going to be was going to be sold on to somebody else so it really struck me you know wow the very day we finish this um, I'm getting an email saying that my old school's been the been victim of this so it was you know, it was it was very uh, very nice to find out that it this this thing that that we'd latched onto many many months ago was looking like it was going to be topical
3: and relevant.
1: Well, it's, it's certainly topical, given uh, obviously with the U.S. elections upcoming, and I, I suppose, and this is a question for both of you, really. Is this really the the, the reason why this book really resol- resonated uh, with me? Is that um, it's it is effectively making the point that you don't need to really destroy a system um to 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 make sure that the public loses faith in it all you have to do is make people doubt whether the system works, and if that means elections then and, and as we 've seen has been happening in the united states you 've got a president saying that uh, mail in voting is not something that you can trust, but also you 've got um, misinformation being spread no doubt by, uh, by by the Russians, basically saying that you can't, you can 't trust what you're seeing in front of you, whether that is elections or whether that's news. I know that the last time, Lee, you were on the um, podcast, we were talking about um, broadcast news and the fact that many people don't trust what they're seeing because they either they either feel that it's propaganda or they feel they're being fed something that isn't the truth, that they don't trust any mainstream media. And really, that's all you need to do. You don't need to completely discredit one side. All you need to do is sow enough doubt in people's minds that something that they thought was absolutely a ninety-nine cent thing, something that they could always count on, just sow enough doubt so that they doubt whether it's whether it's ever effective.
3: I think that's a really good point, and uh, you know that's certainly what's happening here. I think it's not so much that they don't trust it; it's that they've been given permission to ignore it. Uh, Because it's very inconvenient if you think something and then you see some facts that contradict it. That used to be a trauma for people. They would have to alter their way of thinking. But because they've been told not to trust it, they can just dismiss those facts. And even though they're probably true, because I happen to believe the media is still very conscientious, under very severe pressure, um, of staff cutting and budget cutting and so on, but they're still doing a, a good job and they are still by and large telling the truth. But people are now just empowered to say, I don't believe that, which really takes out the whole basis of everything. So you're right. It doesn't have to be destroyed. It doesn't have to go up in smoke. It just, you just have to give people the avenue of saying, I don't believe it. And that is what's happening. Are there some subtle changes between your reacher uh and
0: I know this is Lee and Andrew writing together, and as I understand it you're going to cooperate for a bit and then it's just going to be your gig Andrew. I just wonder uh, at the end of the book I just wonder is he is he chattier
2: your reacher I mean it, possibly um and uh, you know uh, that's that's um a response that i've heard a couple of times so i think it probably must be must be true so there might be a little additional chattiness in there um you know and i always like when i'm writing if if i can uh, and of course my opinion might be different from other people's but i like to try to add as much wit and humor as possible because you know i enjoy reading that so you know as Lee often says, you know, a writer is first and foremost a reader, and it's it's natural to gravitate to things that you are already attracted to. So, yeah, I put, I, I you know, there's there's a chance that he's maybe just that little bit chattier and and um, you know, looking for looking for wherever possible. So, I don't know. That, that's an interesting observation. I'll I'll, um, I'll have to think about that a bit.
3: Yeah, I think it's a U-shaped curve, actually. In in my earlier books, he was chattier about on the level of the sentinel, definitely. And then as, uh, as we got sort of towards book 20 and, and onward, he got much more terse. And that was a fascination that I was having, I think, with trying to absolutely boil down the dialogue. I'm fascinated by dialogue in a book. Um, you know, people talk about natural dialogue in a book, and there is no natural dialogue in fiction ever. It, nobody actually talks like is written down in a book. It's a weird circular argument that... You put something in a book and people say, yeah, that's natural, but it sounds nothing like how people talk in real life with these endless rambling sentences and false starts and stopping and starting over again and placeholders and ums and errs and all that stuff. So the book is always artificial, but it can look natural. And I became kind of obsessed with paring it down and down and down if... uh, If I could get away with four words instead of five words, that was great. If I could do it in three words, that was even better. And so what I think has happened is Andrew has put it back to where it was earlier on. I can remember lots of the earlier books where he was exactly the same as in The Sentinel, Um, a a little chattier, uh, a lot more sarcastic, using humor as a weapon, Um, two or three lines of dialogue instead of one sentence. So, yeah, what I think is what we're seeing is exactly what I wanted, which was not so much a reboot. doesn't have to be totally different. In fact, it needs to be as similar as possible, but a sort of refresh, more energy, uh, more ideas. And I think that's what's there in the Sentinel. So it's kind of picked up again where it used to be maybe 10 books ago. And in terms of the kind of the
0: the tweaks that are needed, and again, as you say, it's not a, it's not modernizing, it's not rebooting. But I was I, I rec- suddenly was in mind of a conversation in a Bond movie, a couple of Bond movies back, when Judi Dench as M says to Daniel Craig as Bond, "Bond, you're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur," and he's basically, you know, you need you know you need to change, and obviously he doesn't want to change. And, but obviously, they're kind of trying to twist and change Bond into being slightly contemporary, sort of begrudgingly. And I wonder if um, Lee first, maybe then Andrew, if is there um, a sort of a slight shifting of that that you relate to that line? Not that uh, Reacher is sexist; he's kind of old-fashioned, I suppose, and traditional. But is there a is, does there need to be a slight repositioning or not?
3: Well, that's another great issue. I mean, Bond in particular, to me, that will never work because Bond is a specific invention of post-war Britain. It's really the early 1950s when Britain was uh, running out of power and money and was no longer this massive imperial power. And really, Ian Fleming invented this one character that could symbolize the old Britain. And so Bond is... It, to me, always rooted in the 50s with that sexist uh, stuff that I thought it was a good line from Judy Dench because it was poking fun at the whole franchise yes, rather than right, yeah. character. Uh, for Reacher, yeah, Reacher has, uh, Reacher is not a sexist. He's a sort of, uh, he's He is a data-driven person, and in his life, he's observed that women are just as tough and capable as men, and he takes that as a, as a conclusion. Um, I think where, what we're going to have to watch out for, especially right now, is that Richer's kind of brusqueness and his directness worked really well when it was a counterpoint to society as a whole. And now... Society, especially in America, is becoming uh, a lot more kind of toxic in terms of its masculinity. I mean, this whole Trump thing, the toxic masculinity that he's promoting, reach her against that doesn't look differentiated enough. So that's something we're going to have to work on in terms of keeping him attractive outside of the mainstream, the mainstream is moving toward him in a little bit of a way. So we've got, we're going to have to find a different avenue, a different channel to put him in. Unless, of course, as we fervently hope, things change in America coming up. And I think they, they quite possibly will. But we're going to have to keep an eye on that. Um, I mean, I'm proud of the way that Reacher is He's a sort of post-feminist. He, If, you, if you're if you a woman, he accepts you for your virtues, for the content of your character, as they say. And if you're a bad woman, he'll kill you just as much as um, he'd, he'd kill a man. Uh, you know, he doesn't care. It's all the same to him. And I think to me that is Reacher's definition of equality. You're all the same. Uh, if you're bad, I'll kill you. If you're good, I'll, I'll help you. It doesn't matter who you are. Angie?
2: Yeah, I think that's very interesting because that's looking at Reacher in the kind of broader broader context. But um, one thing that Lee mentioned earlier was that you know I've been on I'm the I'm the oldest Reacher fan on the planet. Um, and for me, you know, I, I remember one of the reasons that I I wanted to to accept Lee's offer to to work with him on Reacher. Is that I remember? I know so clearly the feeling of looking forward to the next Reacher. You know, so you know you, you've you've waited desperately for the new one to come out. You've you've ploughed through it, and then you're disappointed because you're at the end and you've got to wait another year for the next one. I I know so clearly what that feels like. And um, so what I kind of identify with Reacher is that that um, lovely familiarity you know that idea that you're going to be just for you know for a couple of days back with with this guy that you like so much so uh, you know I'm, unless there are really really powerful reasons to change him you know I want him to stay the same because I know what it's like to look forward to, to visiting with him again every year and um, one of the things that really Bothers me as a reader is when you like a character for specific reasons, and then those reasons get completely changed. I don't know if you remember that that those books. I think there were three of them: um, the House of Cards um, trilogy. You know, they got made into TV on on both sides of the Atlantic. And in the first book, you know, the main character is just this utterly diabolically ruthless character who will do anything to get his own way and um, that was his appeal that's what you liked you know because you'd be you'd be approaching a new episode of the story and you know you could conceive of just how terrible you know how how you know underhanded and devious you could be in there'd be part of you thinking oh no no that could never happen that's going too far and then of course the guy would do it and he'd do it even worse and you know there was some sort of vicarious gratification there and I love that but then going into the second and third you know the the guy suddenly develops a, um, a conscience and he starts getting all guilty and he starts you know being all introspective and it was awful because it, you felt cheated because you, you felt like you'd been promised something because of the way the character had, had been in the first book. And then you felt bad because you couldn't have it anymore. And that would be the last thing that I would ever want to do to so the other Reacher fans out there is, is make them feel, feel cheated because they were no longer getting the Reacher that they, that they know and love
1: both both of you of course are speaking to us from the states but obviously both of you born in in britain in this country and I don't know, so I I saw a reference within the book, and I don't know whether I read too much into it, whether it was a sort of a, a secret nod to uh, British fans of of Jack Reacher. But at one point, he refers to two blokes as the Chuckle Brothers, and I thought, oh, oh, yes, hang on, <laughs> hang on, surely. I mean, are the are those particular particular children's TV entertainers a big deal in Wyoming? I don't think so. So I, I was I. Really reading too much into that or, or 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 was that a little nod to uh, to the british fans of jack reacher
2: no you are you are bang on the money there so um, i'm really happy that you uh, that you picked up on that what what we were hoping was that um it was the kind of thing that if you weren't familiar with it you know the context is clear enough so you know you would you would get the point but if you if you did get it um, you know it's like a sort of inside joke for uh, for the, for the British readers so i'm really happy that you that you
0: saw that i think that's a fantastic in joke as well to me to you and all that so there's <laughs> something that we've got which uh, which the american readers haven't got just on the subject of wyoming if i if i can and I if you're the only british guys in in the whole of wyoming and you've talked before lee about what kind of uh, estate it is but anyway i've learned that i've got a connection to wyoming so um so i'm thinking and genuinely so my wife wants to come out and uh, and visit wyoming so we've been on we've been on the uh, the internet looking at, anyway it turns out her grandfather uh died and was buried in rock springs uh, there was a mining accident in 1923 his wife and four children were on the dock at liverpool waiting to go out and join him and they got the telegram saying that saying that he died and he was buried in rock springs in Wyoming is it is it worth coming over and staying uh, at Rock, Rock Springs to have a have a look round? What's, what's it like from a British point of view?
3: It's amazing from a British point of view, and you, you should absolutely do it because from the UK point of view, Wyoming as an individual state is larger than the United Kingdom. It has more square miles than the whole of the UK, including Northern Ireland, and yet it has less than one hundredth of the British population so that it is vast, it is empty, it is just you literally you can go for 50 or 100 miles without seeing anything man-made. It is an astonishing thing to do. And so, yeah, if you, even if you don't want to come and live here, which I could understand, you know, eight months of winter is, is hardcore, but you should come and look at it because it is... And that story, you know, those guys. There were miners all over the place. There's a little favorite walk that I like to take, where you go up to the snowy mountains, and there's this thing called the the Miners' Cabin Walk, and you walk around and you see this tumble-down cabin where these miners lived. Probably two or three guys living there, working this tiny mine nearby, looking for copper, I guess, or gold or silver or something, and the, the sense of adventure that those people must have had back then, to go out into this vast, unexplored, uncharted wilderness and try and do something, is amazing. And this, the the weather is totally dry, and so nothing ever rots away. And where we live, where Andrew and I live, um, it's a it's it's an old ranch, and there's. Several, two or three of these little tumble-down buildings. And there's an old Model T Ford that must be 100 years old now that obviously just broke down in a field and has been left there for 100 years, and it's still there. Um, So on that level, yeah, Wyoming is totally fascinating. And it really gives you a sense of perspective. You know, people talk about Americans. Americans are like this. Americans are like that. But there's such vast diversity of circumstances in America that actually Americans are not very similar at all <laughs> and out out in Wyoming, there is the people that you meet are absolutely lovely, but they are like another species from the people that I meet back home in New York. They are just totally different, and that to a certain extent explains the politics of the US, that it is so vast, so diverse, everybody's got such different set of problems that any kind of commonality is almost impossible. And so, yeah, it's totally worth coming out to look at it because it, it expands your horizons, both metaphorically and literally. Yes.
1: Just just a brief question at the end, Lee. I'm not, I'm not sure whether you know this, but you feature in the latest Ian Rankin, uh, Rebus book, and i in other words you you're there as a character you were at a charity auction where you bid to have yourself in in the new rebus book uh, do you do you remember being at this charity i think it was you and karen slaughter were bidding against each other to be in the new rebus
3: yeah, it was it was at a convention called BoucherCon, which is our genre's big convention every year. And there's always a charity auction that always benefits the local literacy society or literacy program or whatever. Because, you know, we writers are very selfish. We figure if people learn to read, then they'll buy our books. Yeah. And so... Um, in the past you would give the, you know, sign first edition or something like that. But then, I don't know, 20 years ago the habit came up that you would donate a character name, which people absolutely love. So but this particular auction, it was starting at about five o'clock in the afternoon and, and nobody was drunk yet. And so it was all a little lukewarm at the beginning. And Ian um, Ian's prize was announced, be a character in the next Rebus. And the response was kind of flat. And so Karen Slaughter, who was sitting very far away from me, she suddenly put up her uh, hand and bid like $1,000 or something. And I knew what she was doing. She was trying to kickstart the auction. Hmm. And so I said, $2,000. And she said, $3,000. And on it went, and nobody else joined in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just her and me. And then the thought pops into my head, this is actually going to be great. This will really stick it to Ian. He's got to put, put us in his book now. And so I, I haven't read it yet. I've got it. But you know what it's like with the, the to-be-read stack. I'll get to it. But, um I I loved it because it benefited the charity. It was a laugh at the time. And it also really gave Ian a problem. How the hell is he going to do
0: (laughs) that? Which is is absolutely terrific. Uh, Lee and Andrew, we appreciate your time. Thank you so much. So this has been a four-centre broadcast Mm -hmm. from Colorado, from Wyoming, from uh, Camden, and from Southgate. And... So we've talked over each other just a little bit, but I think it's been uh, great fun. Congratulations to Lee and Andrew. Thank you very much. And thanks for joining us. And Lee, you were a great guest
2: as well as a great
0: host.
3: Always a pleasure, Simon. I'm looking forward to the next time. Thank
2: you for having us. It was, it was a lot of fun and uh, I hope we can do it again sometime.